Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right. I'm glad you guys are here with us today. Um, I am uh, reminded of when I grew up in church and then as I was like going into youth ministry and all that sort of stuff. Um, one of the things that would give you some cred in, in the church scene, I don't know if you grew up in church or know what I'm talking about, but was one word, testimony. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Wow, y'all are really into this this morning. Yeah, all right. So a testimony, in case you don't know, is basically you telling your story of how you came to Christ or how, how God has done something in your life. And sometimes, if you're in church long enough, it can kind of become a little bit of a badge of honor, something you can almost be a little bit uh, proud about and kind of want people to sort of be like, oh, wow, that's such a good story. Because there's power in our stories. I, I'm not discrediting that at all. We want to talk about stories all the time. But if you're not careful, it can become something where you are just trying to get attention, not for God and what he's done through you and in you, but for who? Yourself. And, you know, I had, um, in some ways, I had a pretty powerful testimony. Uh, I went kind of far from God. I grew up in church and, and did some really dumb things. I'm thankful to be alive by the grace of God. Um, I could tell you a lot of those stories. Um, and then my wife, she, um, we're waiting for her to sin. Um, you know, she makes some questionable choices in spouses, but other than that, she's a pretty, you know, good person. And sometimes, you know, as, especially when we were getting involved in youth ministry early in uh, our marriage and our, our life together, uh, she would sort of beat herself up, you know, because she didn't have this, what she thought of was this powerful testimony. She hadn't gone radically far away from God, but then as she grew and mature and started to talk to more people and share more of, of her life and hear their stories, she realized that uh, a couple of things. Number one, there are people out there that cannot relate to going crazy and doing all the craziness of this world, and, and they can't relate to that, but they still need Jesus. And then another thing that she began to realize as she matured was that, honestly, um, sometimes the closer that you think you are to God, the farther you are away. You know, just like the story of the prodigal son has the, the prodigal who we think of as sort of the spotlight of the story where he ran and he lived off the pig's food, he squandered everything, but just as far away in distance of heart, maybe not in proximity, was who? the other brother who thought he had it all together and so she learned a lot and she began to realize the power of your story no matter what it is like no matter how crazy or dirty it is and and sometimes we get so caught up in trying to tell their story um i tell this story from time to time uh some of you may be aware of a, a worship song that probably got big about six seven years ago i don't know exactly how old it is it's called Healer, and uh, I'm I completely just blanking on the melody right now. But anyway, it talks about, oh, God, you're my healer, um, and, and all this sort of stuff. 
when that song came out, it took the world by a firestorm, because, the church world anyway, because there was video of the guy who wrote it standing on stage, leading worship in this big crowd. He had his guitar, and he actually had um, an oxygen tube in his nose as he was singing. And the story went around that he had been diagnosed with cancer and was battling cancer, and in the midst of fighting cancer, he wrote this song, Healer, about, oh God, you're my healer, and man, I mean, you could watch that video you couldn't hear that song without shedding tears until the truth came out he did not have cancer never had cancer never needed oxygen and he stood up there and wrote that song which was a powerful song but he thought his fabricated story would make it sell more Supposedly, he didn't even tell his family. He let his family, his wife and children, suffer thinking they were losing their, their dad and their husband. The, the fear or the desire to have this powerful testimony can be polluting at times. But I will say this, I don't want to leave that story because I don't want you to hear that song and be like, oh, blasphemy, and never want to hear it. I, I, I began to learn another valuable, deeper lesson is that sometimes the healing that we need or the healing that we get might not be physical healing, but it might need to be healing of our spirit, the, the hypocritical nature that we have. And so I can still praise God just as much, maybe even more with that song, because God can take people like us who are a sham and a fraud and a mess, and he can still use it. Even with our bad intent sometimes, he can take our story, our life, and still use it to glorify him. And so I say all of that because the greatest uh, one of, if not the greatest testimony that you will ever see in a radical way is a guy by the name of Paul. The Apostle Paul, maybe. You may have heard him called Saul. The name is used sort of interchangeably a little bit in the New Testament. A lot of times people think of, okay, his name used to be Saul, then his name was changed to Paul. And that's a little bit true, but not exactly the full story. The basic idea is, is that Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul is his Greek name or his Gentile name. And so he would actually use it depending on who he was trying to relate to as he wrote in Scripture as inspired by God. You know, I become all things to all people. And if he can do something simple, something small, he'll use a different version of his name to help build a bridge for the gospel. But his story is radical. His story is just absolutely crazy. And we've been over these past few weeks, as we went through Acts chapter 6, we saw about the stoning of Stephen. And we hear at the end of the chapter, in chapter 7, I guess going into chapter 8, uh, it talks about that somebody who... Saul or Paul was there giving approval to the death, the murder of Stephen, all because Stephen loved Jesus and wanted people to know about him. That's who Paul was. He was a murderer. He was a persecutor of Christians. And all of that changed and he became a winner of Christians and a messenger of God. And here in the book of Acts, we have, I don't know if you realize this, if you, if you haven't had a chance to read through the entire book of Acts before, but we actually have three accounts of the conversion of Saul. 
three accounts. Acts chapter 9, and then Acts chapter 22, and then Acts chapter 26 later on. The first time in Acts chapter 9, what we have here is Luke, who is the author, the person who put uh, pen to paper, if you will, or chiseled a stone, or whatever it might have been, parchment, you know, feathered parchment. As inspired by God to tell the story, Luke, the physician, wrote down the story of Paul becoming a follower of Jesus. And then at time, Luke again, because he's the author of the, the letter of Acts, the book of Acts, he records Paul literally telling his conversion story to a crowd in Jerusalem. And then the third time, Luke again records Paul telling his conversion story to King Agrippa. Now, if you want, if you like to know a, a little few connections of, of Bible and see how things fit together, um, King Agrippa is the grandson, excuse me, the great grandson of Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great? He was involved in the story of the birth of Jesus. He was the one who was threatened by this new king that was coming, and so he wanted to kill all the little babies under two years old. That was his great-grandfather, King Herod the Great. And so Herod Agrippa, or King Agrippa, comes along, and he is told the story in Acts chapter 26. Now, as we look at this incredible conversion, because you look at his story, and if you know, you know, if you've been around church for a while, you probably know the story. So don't, don't tune me out, because there's four things I want us to look at, four questions that I want us to ask that will help us learn how we can better use our life as a testimony for Jesus, okay? So even if you've heard this, don't tune me out. I want you to listen to me. We're going to look at these questions, because I don't know about you guys, but even though I have a little bit of a, a, a pretty big story about how I, I traveled far away from God and then came back, and like I said, he spared my life literally on different times, even though I've got that, there's still times that I don't use my life, whether it be in the past or right now, to point people to Jesus. And I can look at the life of the Apostle Paul um, before coming to Jesus and then even after coming to Jesus, and I can just feel inadequate. Are you guys there with me at all? You know, it's like, I, I just, my life doesn't match up either before and, and, and how much he changed me or what I've done since. And I feel lost and confused. So here's a few questions. And we're going to look through Acts chapter 9 and uh, a little bit in, in chapter 22. Um, and we even uh, may spend a little time in Acts chapter 26. But you can follow along as always on the screen. You can turn to that in your Bible if you'd like. And we're going to start on Acts chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. It says, But Saul... Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so that gives us our first question. Why are you persecuting me? Now you may be thinking, okay, well this doesn't relate to me at all, so I can go ahead and check out. I could even leave, maybe. <laughs> I don't need to hear this. Why are you persecuting me? That has nothing to do with me. I have never persecuted Christians, or maybe you can relate to it. Maybe you're thinking, man, I maybe in small ways, maybe even some bigger ways, I've persecuted Christians, but I can guarantee you that this applies to all of us. 
When Jesus asked Saul, or Paul, on that road, he, he blinded him. I mean, he's, he's laying on the road. He's terrified. And he says, I mean, this voice, uh, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know what I believe one of the greatest virtues, at least in our world and our society, is? I would say it's sincerity. And here's why I think that. Tell me, you can, I mean, tell me if you agree or disagree. I mean, you don't have to right now at this moment, but you tell me later if you disagree. Um, but I believe it's sincerity is one of the highest virtues to our world and our society because people say, just be you. Be sincere to who you are, no matter who that is, no matter who it hurts, no matter what it means, no matter how it goes against God, against nature, against society. You just be you and be sincere. Is that fair? You feel like that's at least up in the top, uh, let's say five, you know, that people say, oh, just be sincere. That's one of the greatest virtues that you can have. But there is something that I've come to understand, and I've often learned it the hard way, and sometimes I've learned it by watching other people, but that you can be completely sincere and be sincerely wrong. You can be completely sincere, but be sincerely wrong. And I, don't, I hope I'm not going to start a fight by saying this, but do you realize that there are a lot of people now that believe that the earth is flat again? <laughs> Woo! That's what we're doing today, y'all. Flat earth. Yep, that's what we're doing. I mean, and I mean, they are some of the most sincere people I've ever seen, and they love the internet. They love it. I mean, they love getting on the internet and arguing on anything. People are like, oh, look at this beautiful picture of nature. Did you know the earth was flat? <laughs> Noob. Idiot. You think it's round. I mean, and they just love talking about it, and they are so sincere. But I believe that they are sincerely wrong. Sincerely wrong. But we can be so completely sincere, but yet sincerely wrong. And one of the best cases is right here in this account in Acts chapter 9. Paul just, I mean, knew. He knew that he was God's man. He's like, if all of them other punks are going to be afraid to stand up against this Jesus and his followers of the way, I will come along and I'm going to take care of it. You can get up and you can make your speeches in the town square and you can say, look, we're not going to have anything to do with these Christians and we're going to chase them out. And he said, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to, if I can get them killed, I'm going to kill them. If I can throw them in prison, I'm going to throw them in prison. And somebody was like, yeah, okay, you know, maybe some of these men will take some of these disciples and throw them in jail. He's like, huh, I'm not even talking about just the leaders. I'm talking about the, the, the regular Christians. I'm talking about, and they're like, yeah, you know, maybe some of these guys will throw, he's like, no, women too. Women, I'm going to throw women in prison. Anybody that tells that Jesus is Lord, I'm going to do my best to destroy them. I'm going to intercept letters, and I'm going to find out who they're to and who they're from, and I'm going to track them down, and I'm going to make sure they're thrown in prison, and if I can, have their life taken from them. He knew sincerely that he was God's man. But he finds out on the side of a highway, way to Damascus, that he was sincerely wrong. That not only was he not God's man in the way that he was living at that time, he was actually an enemy of God. 
an enemy of God. And in just a moment, he is humbled literally and brought low. And, and I, I love, I love this truth that we can learn is that even though we, we think we are so sincere that we can be sincerely wrong, and Jesus teaches us in the Gospels, explicitly in the Gospel of John, that the proof of your love for him was not sincerity for sincerity's sake, but what? What did he say in John chapter 14? Look at verse 23 and following there with me. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, what will he do? He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So what he wants us to understand is you and I need to understand that if we're going to love God, love Jesus, then we have to obey his word. Now, Saul comes to understand this. Paul comes to understand this. And if we're not obeying Jesus's words, then we are obeying somebody else's words. No matter our sincerity, no matter how sincere we are, sincere obedience to the truth is what's important. Sincere obedience to the truth. Support it. True love to Jesus and his truth. What he says. And there's an important lesson that from Jesus' question when he Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Think about that for a second. And you may have thought about this before. But why would Paul or excuse me, who would Paul say that he was persecuting? He was going around persecuting what kind of people? Christians. But who did Jesus say that he was persecuting? Jesus himself. Jesus says, why are you, he didn't say, why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you persecuting my followers? Who does he say? Or ask, why are you persecuting me? And what I want us to understand is this. It's a powerful lesson that persecuting the church is persecuting Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different layers that, that can, uh, you know, sort of impact you on. And one is this, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but if you are a part of the church, if you're a Christian, if you've been baptized into Christ because you believe in him, that he's the only way, the only truth life, then you can know that God, when you suffer for his name, that you are blessed because Jesus takes it personal. And I hope that encourages you, that you're able to stand and face against persecution, no matter how small it may seem or how big it may seem, that God is on your side and that Jesus takes it personal. But I also want to think about it from another angle, another aspect, because I believe that even within uh, the church, and I'll use that kind of in in a, in a big sense, even within the church, Christian world maybe, is that it's become like an Olympic sport to badmouth the church. To badmouth the church and for people to bash it and try to tear it down, even within those that claim to follow Jesus. And, and the truth is, is that oftentimes is that when we go to church, we can go looking for perfect people when we would never even try to achieve perfection on our own. And the minute that somebody in the church hurts us, we're like, ah, get away, you evil, wicked people. Guess what? They're people just like us. 
I'm a person just like you. We're all going to make mistakes. I've seen it on the internet many times in different memes and stuff where it says, you know, people get mad when one person hurts them and they want to leave the church, but you'll go back to McDonald's five million times even though they get your order wrong every time. And that ice cream machine stays broke, right? And you still go back. You still go back. I, this is crazy, y'all. Oh, here's, this is a good little lesson. McDonald's ice cream machine always what? Proof that everybody will let you down sometime. Went to Chick fil A today and we said, Can we get a little cup of ice cream for Andrew? They said, I'm sorry to say their ice cream machine is broken. Chick fil A, y'all. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Even Chick-fil-A's ice cream machine gets broken sometimes. So the, all that is to say that it doesn't matter where you go to church. If you go to church looking for perfect people, you are going to be so upset because you won't find it. And if you did find a perfect church, please don't go because you will ruin it because you're not perfect. You will mess up the good thing they've got going. And we've got to understand that, is that we look and demand perfection from people who are never going to be achieved. We all need the grace of God. We all need Jesus. I don't want to gloss over. Do Christians hurt people? Yes. I mean, we've just said that by default. They're people, and so they hurt people. But as in a group of people, have Christians hurt people in history? Yes. Yes. But do all people hurt people? Yes. So just think about it this way. If you're dealing with church hurt, I'm not making light of it. I'm not saying it's not real. But think about it this way. Don't be careful that we allow the imperfection of people to push us away from a perfect God. Don't allow the imperfection of people to push us away from our perfect God. If you are hurt by people who bear the name of Christ, whether they intended to do it or they didn't or, or whatever, don't allow it to push you away from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's why it's so important for us to truly love God and obey his word. His word, because the more that we do that and we don't fall for false words, the less likely that will hurt people. That's why as a church, we are not perfect. I've never claimed for us to be perfect. Actually, we try to embrace the fact that we're not perfect, growing and trying to get stronger. But one thing that we have tried to do in church is be grounded on the truth of God's word. And if we seek to do that with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, I believe that it will only make us better followers of Jesus and therefore more capable of loving like Jesus has called us to love. Will we get it perfect? No. But will it make us stronger? I believe so. The next question is this. Who are you, Lord? Look at chapter 9, verse 5. When he hears the voice of Jesus and he sees this blinding light, he replies and he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus says it very clearly. It's not the church per se. It's me that you're persecuting. And here's the thing. Paul knew that this was somebody powerful. He heard the name of Jesus. I don't think he understood the depth of Jesus' lordship. I, do you think he understood it completely? No. 
I think when he said Lord, it was definitely a, a term of, you know, uh, I'm humbling myself. Um, he might have thought this is God or an angel or, you know, but he hears the name Jesus. But I want you to understand that we are much the same, is that when we first begin to know who Jesus is, we might call him, I don't think we truly understand the depth of friendship, do you? I mean, if you've got it figured out, please tell me. <laughs> because one of the things that I've come to understand, the longer that I know Jesus, the more that I find out I know about him. Just like when we read the Bible, I don't care how many times you read the Bible, if you are sincerely seeking after truth, you will find something new, something different, something that speaks to you in a fresh way almost every single time when you read a passage of scripture because God's word is so deep and so rich and who God is is so powerful and so much more than we can fathom or understand. You know, normally when you're baptized into Christ, you repeat what a lot of people call the good confession. And what I like to ask people to repeat is that good confession, and I ask them to say something, you know, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I want him as my Lord and my Savior. And I think when we're baptized into Christ that we all understand, at least on a surface level, the, the Lordship of Jesus, but I don't think that we truly understand the depth of what it means for Jesus to be Lord. And I will say this to you, if you've been baptized, whether it be recently or in the past 30 years ago, I don't know, you know, however long, I want to challenge you to make sure that no matter what you believed back then, that you continue every day to try to get to understand and surrender every day a little bit more to the Lordship of Jesus. You know, probably when you were baptized into Christ, you probably meant, you know, God, I give you my all. I, you know, I want you to have it all. It's, you might not have. You might have said, I'm going to hold this back for myself, this part. But I think most of us, at least in theory, we wanted to give it all to Jesus. But then, you know, it's almost like we kind of go dive back into the baptistry and we're like, well, let me get that and hold on to that. Let me get that and hold on to this. You know, and we kind of do that with our lives. But what we have to understand is that every day it's a surrender to more and more of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, say this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's a lifelong pursuit of the lordship of Christ because I want to be the boss. Before you get too judgy, you want to be the boss too. <laughs> That's why we have so many fights and wars among us as human beings is because everybody wants to be in charge of something. You know, if you don't think that's true, you try telling a three-year-old to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> you ready for a fight? I mean, you, you better buckle up because we all want to be the boss of something, but we're continue to seek after him to be grounded and rooted down in the truth of God's word, surrendering everything every day. Seek to know Jesus as Lord more deeply. And I believe that your testimony will become that much more powerful. The next question is this, what shall I do? What shall I do? For this one, we're going to look at chapter 22, starting in verse 9. It says, now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord 
to me, rise and go into Damascus and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. You know, I believe that as followers of Jesus, that we all have to continue to ask God, what are you calling me to do? That very first time that we really start to grasp who Jesus is and that we need Jesus as Lord and Savior and we surrender, you know, we're baptized into Christ because we believe in him, we want to repent of our sin and confess him as Lord. At that moment, that's the first step. But what do we continue to ask? God, what do you want me to do? That's part of that surrendering to his lordship every single day. And just like we shared in John chapter 14 just a few moments ago, obeying God's word is vital. We have to listen to the word of God if we're going to know. So many people get caught up in the lies, in the trap of saying, okay, I'm going to become a Christian, I'm going to do what the Bible says, and then I'm going to never go to church and I'm going to listen to YouTube all the time. Whew. And there's some good stuff on YouTube. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I like YouTube. But if that's where you're getting your spiritual sustenance from, you are heading down a dangerous path. We've got to be grounded in the truth of God's word, sharing in it with other believers so that they can help correct us and steer us where we get it wrong because I don't care who you are. Read some things, you're going to get them confused. But that's why we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to study together and say, well, have you looked at it this way? If you've read this passage of Scripture and brought those two together to understand it, we all need each other for that. So what shall I do? We need to be grounded in the Word of God. We have to listen to the Word of God. And Paul does something here that's really interesting that you find when you read all three accounts. He listened and waited to hear what God had to say to him, but it says he fasted and prayed for three days. I'll be honest, I have fasted some, but I am not a big fan of fasting. I like to eat fast, but that's about it. But I'm telling you, when I have fasted, I have found some spiritual clarity, and I, I try to do it more always with food, sometimes social media, sometimes TV or, or whatever may be getting in the way of me being closer to God. But when you fast, what you do is you're saying, God, I'm going to give up this thing. I'm going to give up food. I'm going to give up X, Y, Z for a time. And when I think about that or when I crave it, I'm going to seek after you in prayer. And so for three days, Paul fasted and prayed and waited to hear what God had to say. Fasting can help take our minds off of self and help us to listen more closely to God as we read his word and study his word. He came, and the messenger came. When Ananias came, he delivered his message. And just like all of us, you know, Paul or Saul believed that who Jesus was. He had already begun his repentance. He's like, okay, I'm not going to go and keep trying to rest. I'm going to go wait, and I'm going to turn myself around. I'm going to wait and hear what you've got to say, God. And then, you know, just a moment, he's going to be told to confess and be baptized. And that's the thing. We have to seek after God and do what he says and listen to what he says. But the truth is, is that that's not the end of it, is it? Is that the last time that you and I have to ask, what must I do? Or what shall I do? 
No, it's something we need to ask every single day because we talked about last week, and I know you all pay attention to everything I say, right? We talked about the fact that God is a destroyer of comfort zones. And if you want to be a Christian, then you might as well give up really having comfort zones unless you're going to be like this, la, 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 I can't hear you. Because God's going to call you to step out of your comfort zones, no matter how small or how big they may be. If you're listening closely long enough, he'll call you to get out of those comfort zones. And so you continue to ask, what shall I do? So what's God calling you to do? If you've already obeyed the gospel, what's he calling you to do next? What's he calling you to do? Maybe he is calling you to be baptized into Christ like Paul, but then what's he calling you to to do next? Acts chapter 9 verse 18 says this, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized. And perhaps you've been baptized and he's calling you to follow him to make him famous. Look back at chapter 9, verse 15, where Ananias gives him a little bit of a glimpse of what he's going to be doing. He says, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. What's God calling you to do? And I I can't gloss over the fact that for Paul, he said he's going to suffer for my name. And I can't gloss over the fact that he might call you and I to suffer in some small ways and in some big ways. But the truth is this, it won't always be easy if you follow Jesus, but it'll be worth it if it helps people get to know Jesus. And the last question is this, what are you waiting for? Acts chapter 22, verse 14 says this, and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So Ananias delivered the message that God told him that we just read in in verse 15. And he says, look, you're going to go and you're going to spread the word of God. You're going to go and be just as passionate and just as fired up as you were to arrest Christians as to make Christians. And he said, so now what are you waiting for? Get up, calling on the name of the Lord, be baptized, washing away your sins. Be free and go. And I'm telling you, often when we, and I was guilty of this too, I went and I was baptized into Christ, and then I was like, I'll go later. It was a while before I really got going. And I don't always go the way I'm supposed to now, but I am trying every day to go where God is calling me and go where he's sending me. And why am I waiting is a question I have to end up asking myself a lot. And the question you need to ask yourself is, what are you waiting for? What God is calling you to do, it's time to do it. Just over the past few weeks, I've either been closely connected or gotten word of so many people taking their last breath. We had a death again in our family this week, completely unexpected, sudden, and I know two more 
the people just were gone before anybody realized it. Just this week. We don't know how much time we have promised. So what are you waiting for? What God is calling you to do, it's time to get up and to do it. That's the question that you and I have to answer. What are you waiting for? It's time to go. It's time to be who he's called us to be. Maybe he's calling you today to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but not to just then sit and be like, whew, I'm done now. No, to go. And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but maybe he's calling you to go deeper, to try something new, to to get out of your comfort zone, to, to get up on stage here like Billy did and share communion talk, to go on a mission trip, to go across your backyard. I don't know where he's calling you to go, but what are you waiting for? If you want your story to make an impact, You have to answer these questions and you have to see where they're going to lead you. So what are you waiting for? The Apostle Paul was one of the most prolific writers of what we call now the New Testament scriptures to ever walk the face of the earth. He had a hand in preaching the gospel for thousands if not millions of people to come to Jesus and sometimes you look at Stephen that we've shared and mentioned a few times over the past few weeks and he preached what may have been one of his very first few sermons and what happened at the end they killed him for it and sometimes when you're living this life for Jesus, you may feel like, you may feel like I'm more of a Stephen. If I do stand up, what if they don't like me? What if they don't want to hear what I've got to say? And maybe they won't kill me, but maybe they'll walk away from me. Maybe they won't like me or listen to me. But you know, what if, what if, what if? I just don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if I can do it. I, I want a story like Paul's. You got to ask these questions and say, God, how can I be used? What do you want me to do? And then what are you waiting for? Because here's one of the beautiful things. Even though Stephen might not have had the prolific career that the apostle Paul had, do you know what I truly believe is going to happen on the first day that that we're in heaven? I believe that Stephen is going to be one of the first people running with open arms to greet the apostle Paul. Because maybe, just maybe, his death for the gospel helped persuade, even though at the moment it didn't, it planted one of the seeds for him to say when he got the call to follow and obey Jesus, that Paul was like, okay, I'm going to do it now. And Stephen knew that his sacrifice, his life was worth it if just one more person came to Christ. You might not ever stand before thousands and proclaim the good news. But every day you get the opportunity to stand before one or two or three. What are you doing? And what are you waiting for? If you need to obey the gospel today, what are you waiting for? We're ready to go. If you need to take another step forward in faith to give your life on a deeper level to Jesus, what are you waiting for? Let's stay on the scene. 
Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.